Hey, I want to get into this week's um, final message of a series we've been calling Ducks in a Row. It's really all about what our faith tells us about our finances. And it's really not a message where we want anything from you. It is a message that we want everything God has for you. If Jesus died for you to have freedom, you might as well get all that he died for. You might as well get it all. And it starts in our heart, which the Bible says, and I talked about this last week, if you track your treasure, you will unearth your heart. And so you say, why do we have to talk about finances and money in church? Because it tells us a lot about the state of our heart. And we, we, we focused, in fact, if you've got your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 21. I want you to read along in your Bible. If you didn't bring it, then you could use your smart device and open up the Bible on one of your apps. Um, I'm going to be in the New Living Translation, but I would love for you to follow along with me because I'm going to uh, teach expository from it, which basically means I'll read a few scriptures and then I'll talk a little bit about what that means and I'll keep coming back to it. So if you follow along, you'll be able to track and this is how you can read your Bible as well Monday through Friday. Also, um, when we get into it, I want you to know that last week I talked from this parable about what this story tells us about man's heart. And to sum it up real quickly, what we learned is Human beings default to hoarding possessions. Today we're going to talk about what this parable tells us about God's heart, which I'm going to give it away. God defaults to hooking a brother up, okay? I got two ages there. We default to hoarding. God defaults to hooking his sons and daughters up. Okay, so we're going to look at that today. Follow along with me in Matthew chapter 21. We will read the parable of the vineyard from verses 33 through 43. Tell your neighbor, I'm pumped for this. Come on, I didn't hear it like you were pumped. Say it like you're pumped. Let me hear it loud. Okay, now you're convincing them and me. All right, the Bible says in verse 33, a story Jesus told. A certain landowner, landowner, planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to some tenant farmers, some Wink, wink. I think he was winking when he was doing it. He leased it to some tenant farmers, and he moved to another country. Throughout this parable, I'm going to show you some things I think give us an indication of God's heart. I find eight of them. I wonder if you'll find them too. Just from these two verses, here's three things I see about God's heart. Number one, our God is not a micromanager. Some of y'all are grateful for that. Some of you have misperceived God as that. He's an overlord. He is lording over everything. Look into smack, 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 everything. Come on. Maybe you grew up with people, um, maybe some people who are full of faith, and they use your, their Bible to smack your hand over absolutely everything. And so you think that that's what God's doing. I want you to see that the uh, owner of the vineyard moved to another country which is another way of saying he's in heaven now and he gives us our space. Over and over through scripture, the Bible talks about he's our good shepherd who leads us to green pastures. He leads us to wide open spaces. 
I heard one, yeah. Come on, that's my country music listener right there. Okay, you have identified yourself today. Anyway, listen, he over and over wants to give us wide open spaces. He wants to give us green pastures. And to think that our Lord is an overlord is a misconception of his true heart. He likes hooking the tenants up and then saying, come on, I give you autonomy. I give you space. I once had a job, my first job, I had two bosses. Anybody had two bosses before? Or anybody had a micromanager of a boss before? Come on, you know it's like overlording. You're always worried about what's going on. I had two bosses at the first restaurant I worked at. All I was was the dishwasher. Talk about lowest man on the totem pole. And I would show up worried about which boss would walk in because one wanted it this way and one wanted it that way. And if I was doing it his way when he was here, it was going to be problematic. And sometimes we get God wrong when we think he's an overlord. He wants a great relationship with us and he is not a micromanager. Number two, I see that God's a hard worker. Just look at the verbs in the first two uh, verses. He says that he planted a vineyard. He dug a pit. He built a watchtower. In other words, God's not scared to get his hands dirty on your behalf. He wants to hook you up. He is not scared of hard work. He sets an Eden. He breathes over chaos and he creates something amazing called a Garden of Eden to bless human beings. He is not scared to get his hands dirty. God is a worker. He is not dead. He is surely alive. He's living on the inside, roaring like a lion. A few of y'all know that song. Come on, you're not my country music listeners, the other ones. Anyway, anyway, and so he, he, he is active. He is not asleep. He's not a low, lowercase g God. He's fully awake. He's laboring. He's hardworking. Number three, God's a provider of the best. This scripture could read like this. A landlord or a landowner decided... He wanted a wine press, so he planted a few, fi- uh, uh, a few grape uh, trees, and he got a wine press. He ran out of money for the wall. He said, they'll do without that. If they get beat up by a few neighbors, who cares? <laughs> or, or maybe he erected the wall, but he chose not to build a watchtower because it's okay if they're a little fearful. It's okay if they're a little scared. No, the Bible says he created a state-of-the-art turnkey a uh, uh, project. It was his goal to give not just okay, but the best. Have any of y'all ever seen those commercials? Sometimes okay is not okay. Come on, I love those commercials. In fact, if you can't remember them, here's my favorite one. It goes like this. Have you ever worked for Dr. Francis? Oh yeah, he's okay. Just okay? Guess who just got reinstated? Well, not officially. Nervous? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. I'll see you in there. Just okay is not okay. It's Come on, just okay is not okay. And I think that's God's mantra too. He didn't give a shabby wine press. He, he, it says in Luke 12, 32, that it gives your father great happiness. Say that word, great happiness. It gives your father great happiness to give you what? The kingdom. 
Come on. He's not looking to give you some small cottage, not a sketch village, but he's looking to give you the keys to the kingdom. He doesn't provide okay. He provides way better than okay. He is a great, generous, great provider to us. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, that vineyard is dope. I got all kinds of y'all saying things you don't normally say. Because that was a sweet setup. And God wants to provide for us. The Bible says that it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. How do we qualify for this? The verse before it says this. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you. He will give you everything you need. He wants to give. He wants to provide for his sons and daughters, not something shabby, not something run down, not something basic. He wants the best. God is such a good God. Amen? If we do the seeking, he does the providing. So let's get back to the parable. So this owner leased to the, the, the wine press um, and the whole farm to some tenants, and then he moves, and it says in verse 34, At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. Here's the fourth thing, thing I see about God. God expects a return. God expects a return. See, God, number three, is a generous provider of so much more than okay. And he, he desires that we would express his nature, which means we reciprocate generosity as well. If he is a generous God and we are going to ask to look more like him, that means we are simultaneously asking, can I be more generous? Can I be more God-like? And so I have this illustration to share about the vineyard. See, if... If we are the tenants and God gives us a vineyard, then guess what? We have our first crop yield, and it's a really good year. We get all of this grape juice, 10 different bottles representing how, much it, how good our yield has been. Now, I looked it up, and the average arrangement for a sharecropper is 25 to 50% of what was yielded belongs to the owner as their payment. Let me first ask this question. How much of this is owned by the owner? All of it. It was his field. It was his seed. It was his tools. It was his property. It was his heart. All of it belongs to them. The tenant can only say, I put sweat equity into it, but really you set me up to succeed. So a common arrangement would be 25 to 50% of it belongs to the owner. So I'm just going to put somewhere in the middle and say that 40% of it, let's say that was the arrangement, belongs to the owner. And if we put this in the owner's hands, this portion is ours. Now guess what? Owner's happy. Tenants are blessed, so what happens? We get to yield another good year. So they're going to go ahead and show us the returns on the next good year. As we work the same fields, they're not ours in the first place. We, we use the gifts and talents that God has given us. And we are able to generate another 10 um, uh, harvest of 10. Is that 10? Don't give me 11. You want an extra good year right there. Okay, good year. It's like tires. Come on, so much is riding on your tires. I get ADD sometimes. Anyway, here we go. 
You're like, that's Michelin. Maybe, I don't know. Anyway, it, it, we have another good year. That looks like way more than 10. Is that 10? I don't know. Anyway, what we do is we say, how much, let me ask a question. How much of this belongs to the owner? All of it. If we want to keep a good relationship with the owner, should we pay our least proportion or not? Yes. And if we do and we give 40%, the owner says, that's yours. You can use it to bless your family. You can use it as you want. You can feed. You can provide. You can grow. You can build. And because you've kept the arrangement, go ahead. You can yield another harvest. And it keeps going over and over again. You can see that it's to our benefit that the tenant would keep the arrangement with the owner since it's all his. And we are receiving more than half of a blessing in the first place. Are you following? Say, I'm following. Okay, if we're following, then we got to understand, why don't you, John, go ahead and put the rest of them up here for me. So this represents just three harvest seasons. And if we keep the right arrangement, this is what happens. Let me show you what our great God asks for us. He has the right. Let me ask you a question. How much of our possessions is God's? Let me remind you of the first song we sang. Every good thing comes from you. Uh, so, so he's responsible for all of it. God says this, I have the right to ask for 25 to 50%. I don't want to do that to you. I'm asking for 10. If you will give me 10%, all of this is for your glory. This is for your benefit. This is for your gain. This is for your family. This is for your pleasure. This is for your needs. This is for your resources. Our God is not one going over here saying, listen, I really could take more. So how about I take about this much and you'll have enough with that. He has the right to. But our God just simply says this. He says, this will do because it's really not so much about this as much as how much this tells me about your heart of gratitude. Look how good he's been. Let me ask you a question. If you don't own the resident you live in and you decide, I, like the tenants did here, I'm not paying you jack anymore. I will live in this house and I will not pay you rent and I will not pay you lease. And we have a heart that says, all of this is mine. You can go booger off. <laughs> Thank you, guys. You can go. Give it up for them who helped me get this ready. If we do that with our property, how many of us believe that we're going to have a healthy, productive relationship together? How many think we're going to continue to have years of prosperity and good tidings? <laughs> no. But if, if, if we keep a relationship strong, then they say, hey, I, I don't want, I, I, I want you to be blessed. Now, let me say it this way. It reminds me a little bit of about a pastor who once told me this story that uh, one of his members came up to him. See, God asked for 10%. I'll show it to you in your, I'll show it to you in your Bible in just a minute, but 10%. And so I remembered this pastor saying that his uh, church member came up to him and he said, Pastor, I need you to help me out. Um, when I made $50 a week, I gave God $5 a week and it was no problem. And then I got an increase and when I made $500 a week, I would give God 50 bucks every single week and it was no problem. But God, uh, or but pastor, now that I'm making $5,000 a week, 
$500 is a lot. And so it's becoming hard for me to give him that much. Pastor, would you pray for me? The pastor said, sure, let's enter into prayer. And so here the pastor lays his hands on him and he says, Father, would you please reduce his income back to $500 so that it's not hard to bless you with what's yours? <laughs> Come on, that's a little bit funny, all right? And so anyway, what we're seeing is it was God who has been faithful to provide and to bless, and we should not get to a point where we start saying, you know what, I don't want to give it all. See, sometimes what we can do, unfortunately, a Barna survey says that born-again Christians on average give about 2 to 3% of their income to God. What that means, and listen, I don't mean any condemnation. I just want you to see what kind of relationship you're building if you say, you know what? I've used one of these before with my little kids. It helps sick kids become healthy again. God, I like all of this. So how about, instead of giving you three of these, how about I give you, there we go, that'll work. I'll give you one of those a week, and I'll hold on to that. What does that say about this heart when we go, you got a little bit? Surely, this will heal everything in the relationship. I threw a little bit at him. You know, he did a pretty good job this week. So listen, we know that won't work. And so if you say, hey, Pastor, I haven't been given 10%, or it could be difficult to. Listen, I want you to know this is not what we want from you. This is about having a great relationship with your Father in heaven, who is the giver of every good gift. Okay? And so this is about your heart. And if you say, I haven't been doing this, then I want to show you in Nehemiah, God's people, the Israelites, neglected their relationship with God too. And they said, what do we need to do to get back right? And then they made this oath. They said this in Nehemiah 10. We promise to bring the first part of every harvest. Say every. We promise to bring the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple year after year, whether it be a crop from the soil or from our fruit trees, any increase to us. And they said, we promise to bring the Levites, which would have been the priests or the pastors, a tenth of everything our land produces. Say a tenth. The word tithe means a tenth, okay? So we promise to bring a tithe or a tenth for it to the Levites who collect the tithes in our rural towns so that God's house will be blessed. Some of you might be saying, that's Old Testament, Pastor. I'm not sure if it's New Testament. Let me show you in your New Testament what Jesus once said about giving God his portion. He, he got upset with the Pharisees, the religious people, and he said in Luke eleven forty two, 42, What sorrows await you, Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income of your mint herbs, your, your basil. You give 10% of all your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes. Just don't neglect the more important things in addition to this. Let me ask you a question. If God wanted to eradicate generosity towards his house, if you're the son of God, would you even bring the subject up? <laughs> would you take time to affirm it? Or wouldn't you just say, hey, you've been tithing. You really don't have to do that anymore. I showed up. You can lay low on that. Just make sure you maintain justice and the love of God. No, he took the time to say you should continue to do that. Just don't let it 
cover up the fact that you need to be loving God and having justice for your neighbor. Can I get an amen? You're like, this, I don't like this message very much. I want you to be blessed. And it's our heart defaulting back to the tenant mindset. Let me hoard it and keep it all. And if I hoard it and keep it all, then surely it will go well for me. But we see from the parable it does not go well at all. Let's continue on. It says this um, in verse 35. So the vineyard, um, uh, they tried to, the vineyard owner tried to collect his share. And it says, but the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Tell your neighbor, that's stupid. <laughs> so the landowner sent a larger group of the servants to collect for him. But the results were the same. Finally, the owner sent his son, thinking, surely they will respect my son. Here's the uh, uh, fifth thing I see about God from here. God's patient. God's so much more patient with us than I would be with my neighbor. If I sent an employee or one of my friends to you and you dissed him or, 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 or embarrassed him, I'd be frustrated from the get-go and so would many of you. He sends a larger representative and then sends his very own son and is still slow to anger. It doesn't mean God's not holding us accountable. It does mean he's crazy slow to anger. He wants all of his sons and daughters to have a repentant heart towards him. And he's giving people time. Maybe they'll get it today. Maybe they'll get it today. Maybe they'll get it after this goodness. Maybe they'll get it after this kindness. Maybe they'll get it after this mercy. And it's unwise to just keep um, uh, neglecting his mercies because um, he has been so patient with us. It goes on to say they killed his son, the vineyard owner's son, and then Jesus asked this question. What do you think he will do to those farmers? The religious leaders replied, he will put the wicked men to a horrible death. The sixth thing I see about God is that God upholds justice. Some of you are thinking, amen, I want him to, because people have done wrong by me, and I don't know how to get justice. I, I don't know how to get forgiveness brought to me. The Bible says that uh, vengeance is his. In other words, he knows all the wrongs done. The wicked tenants won't get away with it. The wrongdoers won't go unpunished. What is done in the dark will be shown in the light. Now let me just say this. That means for those of us who are believers, we could put our trust that justice will be taken care of lest God no longer be God himself. He has to be just. He has perfect accuracy on every wrongdoing. That's good when someone's done wrong to you, but what about the wrongs we've done to others? In other words, we want to be in a relationship where a just judge begins to uh, talk to us about our wrongdoings, that we're in a good position. Now, God would cease to be God if he was no longer just. So Jesus, knowing that, says, I'll go pay the price for every wrongdoing. You say, what's the price of that? The Bible says the wages of every sin is death. So Jesus said, I'll go pay the price for their death because you're a just God who won't just overlook things. And so if I give my life for them, then the death has been paid. The debt has been paid. And you, your justice is sufficed. You're not just letting criminals off. You are allowing the grace through the intercessor, through the person who was the middleman, Jesus Christ. Can we give it up for Jesus? Jesus right now. I hope I explained that well, that you and I are up a creek without a paddle without Jesus Christ. 
because God is a just God. The parable continues in verse 41. He will put the wicked men to a horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. Here's the seventh thing I see. God keeps on giving to the stewards who keep proper perspective. As long as we realize all of this is his and we are merely stewards of it, then he keeps giving to the stewards who keep proper perspective. This is yours. I'm just honored I get to play a part in it. And if this is all that you ask of, look how generous you've been with me for all the rest of it. God, I will give you praise. I believe you can do more with this 90% than I can do with this 100%. So God, this is the least I could do for you. I'm not over here pouring you little shot glasses of glory. There you go, God. (laughs) Threw a little your way. Come on. No. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you your, 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 your glory. And so God keeps on giving to the stewards who keep proper perspective with him. I once um, heard a story that I don't have a lot of time for, so I'll say it quickly. Um, uh, uh, a member of the church was part of a, a church doing a building campaign. And um, he lived by an airport, and um, he went outside in prayer uh, near the airport, and he asked God, what portion do you want us to contribute to this building campaign well God he felt like spoke to his heart and said $50,000 over the next three years and he said you can't be serious that's a lot of money that money would have to fall from the sky for me to be able to give that much Knowing money wasn't going to fall from the sky, he quickly went inside, started crunching his numbers in his budget, and with cutting the cable and certain things, he could do that. So he chose to do that over the next three years. Guess what God began to do in his finances? He not only continued to have blessed finances, but blessings and favor at work. He had more than enough to complete that, and that's not the glory that I'm trying to tell you about, because on the last day of the building campaign, and three years in, he gave the final portion of that $50,000 on a Sunday. Monday morning, he gets a knock at the door. It's a representative from the airline. They said, we have recently been doing a survey about our new flight pattern that we are about to take. The flight pattern is an inconvenience to your house. And so for your inconvenience, we felt it was only right to give you $50,000 for the inconvenience of this new flight pattern. And he stepped outside out back and God, he felt like God said, I can drop money out of the sky if I have to. Listen, we so often shortchange God. If he can give you a vineyard, he can certainly provide. In fact, I like to say it this way. Christians should be the most generous people on earth because, write this down, we know whose it is, what's its purpose, and there's more where it came from. I need you to write that down. The reason we can be the most generous is we know whose it is, what's its purpose. It's about making heaven bigger and hell smaller, baby. Come on. And we know there's more where it came from. And he can make money fall out of the sky if he's got to. In fact, here's a current need that we meet every single, uh, with your giving, you don't just give to a church, we model what we're talking about. Our church, our operating budget, we give away 10% or more outside of our church to kingdom building ministries. 
One of the things we partner with is Halo. There is a homeless um, problem in our city, and we're determined to get our hands dirty and be a part of the lift in this situation. So we have some serve groups who go weekly as a small group to serve. We are there monthly investing into their spiritual impartation. I want to tell you that there are people getting saved absolutely every single month at Halo, and we'll be there later tonight. Can we give glory to God? Well, one of our serve small groups said this. We were serving breakfast this morning, and we learned that Halo has run out of vegetables, canned vegetables on their shelves, especially in light of Thanksgiving coming up. I wondered if Lyft would be a part of it. I said, heck yeah, Lyft will be a part of it. So here's what we're going to do. Next week, we'll have a table out in the hallway when we come in, and I'm just asking you when you do your grocery shopping, the, the one, two, Seven times you go to Walmart this week. <laughs> Come on, every day like us, like I'm going again, honey. What do you need today? <laughs> when you do your grocery shopping, would you throw in a few canned vegetables and let's restock their shelves and make a difference on hunger in our area and homelessness, amen? Because when we meet people's basic needs, we start getting the influence and the opportunity to tell them about their spiritual eternal need, okay? And so we're going to do that. And so let me finish verse 42. Then Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. What's he talking about? This is a whole nother message for another day, for another day, but number eight. Number eight, just as the kingdom was taken from one nation, it can be taken from us too. If we're naive, if we're negligent, if we're flippant, if we take advantage of it and take it for granted. If we say, forget you, I worked hard for all of this and I'm going to keep it, but I want you to answer every one of my prayers. I want you to respond when I call upon you. I want you to be close to me. I want you to give me goosebumps anytime I listen to a worship song and I need to know you're close. But I will keep all of this. The Bible says that he was speaking to a Jewish nation, the people of God. And he said this, you have missed the Messiah. You have missed the kingdom. You have missed the message because you're so busy building your own kingdom, your own reputation, your own church titles, your own esteem. You're building your own stuff, and so you missed. You neglected the cornerstone. And so I will take the blessing from this nation, and I will open it up. Guys, let me, what this means is this. About 99% of us under the sound of my voice, we're not Jews. I'm not a Jew. The, the, the blessing was on the Jewish people all throughout the Old Testament. And it was at this point that God said, I am going to open up the blessing and the favor to every Gentile. Meaning any outsider is now open. The kingdom is wide open to them. And that's why you and I can have a relationship with God today. Because he opened up the kingdom to the Gentiles. And I'm so grateful. But let us not make the same mistake that one people group made. They said, we can do whatever we want. We hold the scriptures and we hold all the authority. And God says, I take it from you and I give it to another nation. We cannot be negligent with our first. We have to honor him with our first. Tell your neighbor, keep God for, in first place. 
I'm a hair over, but let me conclude by saying this. Getting our ducks in a row doesn't start in our wallets. It starts in our hearts. This is about the heart. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need our finances as much as he needs our heart. He's such a generous God who just says, I will let you keep way more than your fair share because I'm just looking for you to acknowledge me with your heart. So today, getting our ducks in a row is about our heart. It's way more about that than money. And we got to make sure that we're not like the people who are hoarders, but we realize how much God is generous and he wants to hook us up. So if you would, would you bow your heads as I pray over us right now? Father, in this place, you are not a spirit of condemnation. You are a spirit of conviction. And so, Father, in this place, if any of us are unsettled with this or this is kind of difficult, Father, I, I just pray that we would realize that you're giving us an opportunity to respond to you again. I thank you that you're so patient. I thank you that in Nehemiah, those people had gotten it grossly wrong, and yet they were restored to honor and favor simply because they began to give you your portion. It was less about the treasure. It was more about the heart. Father, I pray that we give you yours knowing that you're a good God who can make up the difference that you'll provide for all of our needs that if we'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness all other things you are ready to give to us Father this is not about us being needy or greedy this is about making you God and our minds aren't our wallets aren't our bank accounts aren't so Father we repent right now if we've gotten this wrong Father there's some of us who are struck with fear that think, how am I going to do this? That's a lot of money. Father, I pray that you give us the courage to step out in faith, much like Peter had to step out in faith out of a boat, thinking, if I do that, I will sink. I will go down. This whole thing is headed down. I won't make it. But Father, as Peter stepped out of a boat, trusting your word and not his intuition, you helped him miraculously walk on water. God, I thank you that you will miraculously help us walk on water and you will build our faith today. In Malachi, your people said, we haven't robbed you. And you said, you robbed us when you didn't bring your tithes to me. But you also said this. If we bring our tithes to you, you will be faithful to open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing that we can't even handle. Father, I'm praying the favor of God on your people as we just be obedient to what you asked us to do. We know you'll provide. We know you won't fall short. We know we can trust you. Help us trust you. Some of us might be saying the prayer one man said in the Bible, Father, help me with my unbelief. Thank you, God, that you said, if you test me, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of you. So, Father, help us with our unbelief. I know it's not an easy message, but you're worthy of 25 to 50%, 90% of it. Help us bring what is rightfully yours in Jesus' name. With every head bow, still bowed and every eye still closed, I just want to ask you quickly, are you right with God today? bigger than just our finances it's our heart where we know hey i've sinned and fallen short i would not want to approach god today especially a god of perfect justice if he knows perfectly well everything that i did i, I have shame i have regret i have guilt the bible says that jesus came to pay the price for that shame and regret 
And if we would repent of our sins, meaning we acknowledge it and we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, his blood that he spilled on the cross will pay the price for every wrong that we have done. It's called being right with God and our righteousness comes from him. If you're in this place, no one's looking around. I won't embarrass you or call you forward. But whether you're online or on person, if you're saying, hey, that's me, would you quickly just throw your hand in the air and back down? If you're like, hey, pastor, include me in that prayer. I want to give my life to Jesus today. Whether for the first time or for the 10th time or more. Come on, just throw your hand in the air real quick. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes, thank you. If you're online, you say, that's me, include me in that prayer. Would you just write in the chat, I'm in too. And all of our church is going to pray out loud with you. But I'm going to ask you, if you made that decision, pray out loud and believe these words. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I have sinned. I've messed up so much. And I ask you to forgive me. Would you wash me clean? Jesus, I believe you're the son of God and you died for me. I am now free because of the price you paid for my mistakes. Thank you for a new start. I ask you to be Lord of my life and I'm gonna put you first. In Jesus' name I pray. And the church said, amen. Come on, God.